Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me this week is China McCarney. And China was a high school stud baseball player, played in college at COC, Cal State Northridge, San Diego Christian. But he is involved with the Jager Sports Program run by Alan Jager. It's a arm conditioning throwing program. And China is, I believe, the vice president. And China is gracious enough to take the time to join me tonight. Thanks for joining me, China. How are you? I'm great. How you doing, Tony? Thanks so much for having me. Okay, first I have to ask, the name China, where where did that come from? Is that a family thing? So yeah, that's uh it's actually a nickname, but pretty much only my mom and uh my fiance when she gets mad at me, I guess, call me Ryan, which is my given name. But uh China was given to me by my dad when I was first learning to speak. Um, he was trying to get me to say champion, actually, is my first word. Couldn't say that. Could say the CH sound. First word that I said was China. And so he started calling me a little China champion. And here we are 33 years later. And uh, that's what I'm known as. <laughs> there you go. Well, you played at Vasquez High School. You were the CIF Player of the Year. And I looked up your stats. You hit 627. You had a 7-1 and record. You pitched 56 innings which had 104 strikeouts and a .74 ERA. Really? I mean, was it just easy for you? Um, yeah, I was uh, definitely fortunate with just – I had great training. I went to – started Jager Sports at 12 years old and so got exposed to some really great coaching. Um, I grew up in a very small town called Agua Dulce between the Santa Clarita Valley and the Antelope Valley. And so our competition wasn't um, – necessarily great but um yeah I, I threw pretty hard in my senior year and so um got a lot of strikeouts and those were some of the funnest times I have looking back when I play I got to play shortstop center field and pitch and those were just great great times and uh, Agua Dulce it's a very small town I you know you pass it as you head up to Palmdale then you go to college and you, you played at three different places and what did you learn from college coaches about the physical side of baseball, because like you said, you played at a small school against, you know, smaller competition, but now you get up to the college level where everybody was probably all CIF. Everybody was the top player on their team. Was it a big adjustment for you? Yeah, it definitely was a big adjustment. Um, I'd say the the biggest adjustment was mental, but uh, physically, yeah, the speed of the game, um, the quality of players. Uh, one of the biggest things that I noticed right away was the catchers, the quality of the arms on the catchers in high school, I could basically steal on everybody. And that was one of the things where I can remember reflecting back where it was like, Whoa, um, everybody can throw here and everything like that. And so the speed of the game was the biggest kind of physical adjustment. And then, like I said, the biggest, um, adjustment was just mentally thinking through the game, not just trying to overpower everybody, pitching the contact and, and stuff like that. And we'll, we'll get into that. Now, you mentioned that you had been with Alan since you were 12. Um, ironically, Alan and I went to elementary school together, so I can say I've been with him longer. <laughs> uh, 
what drew you to him and how did you get involved at such a young age? Yeah. Um, well, first, yeah, you're definitely one of the few that um, has been around him longer than I have for sure. It's been 21 years now, which is crazy. Um, but my dad uh, saw an ad or I'm not exactly sure, but saw an ad to do uh, a Jager sports arm care clinic. They were hosting one in uh, Santa Clarita, which was decently close to our house, all things considered. And uh, so I went to my first camp that was run by Jim Wagner, who has Throw Zone Academy there in Santa Clarita Valley now, and just absolutely fell in love with that approach to training, um, taking throwing seriously. And uh, Alan came out, I think, the third day of the camp and saw me long tossing at 12 years old and introduced himself to my my dad and I and just said that he wanted to stay in contact and, and see... Um, my development and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, here we are a couple decades later and I'm truly blessed to, to be associated with Jager Sports and to have lived it throughout my career. And it's interesting that you mentioned when you were in high school, you probably just overpowered everybody. And then when you get to those higher levels, it's you can't just throw, you have to learn how to pitch. What's the difference? You mentioned pitching to contact. Yeah, uh, there's so many. I remember one of the kind of aha moments was uh, the leadoff hitter, I believe, had gotten a double off of me. And on the next at bat, I had a left-handed hitter up and I threw a fastball inside and the guy pulled it uh, to the second baseman. We got him out and the coach came out and was livid with me. And I was like, I just got the out. What are you? And he's like, you threw an inside fastball with less than two outs to a left-handed hitter with a guy on second base. And it wasn't, I had no idea about situational pitching I should have thrown the lefty away, obviously, to try to get him either strike him out or get him to hit something to the left side of the diamond to keep that runner um, at second base. But stuff like that just comes to mind. And then, you know, the strikeout is sexy. And so especially in high school, I could just throw my fastball by everybody, basically. But when you're working deep into the count on every count, your pitch count goes up a lot quicker and you'll eat into your bullpen a little more. So pitching the contact with quality pitches to get quicker outs was something I learned in college as well. And so um, that was so much fun and difficult by, you know, for sure. But just learning the nuances of how to mentally approach the game to make it easier on yourself, your team, coaching staff, et cetera. How steep is the learning curve? Because you see, you know, I'm around football a lot. I'm around basketball a lot. And a lot of these kids think, oh, I'm great in high school boy, I'm going to really tear it up when I get to college. But what they don't understand is, boy, it's a mud. There are a lot of bigger fish in that bigger pond when you get to that higher level. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, I think it's a tremendously steep curve for somebody like me coming from the town that I came from. I was lucky that my dad um, kind of got me on the showcase circuit and I got exposed to players from El Camino High School, Chatsworth High high school southern california obviously is the mecca hotbed of high school baseball and so i saw um the talent that was going to be up there but it's definitely a steep curve it's a learning curve and um i think one of the benefits now with the kind of evolving training um i think athletes are more equipped because and there's benefits and downsides to that we can pull those threads but um there's just so much training and you're playing so many more games at a young age now, kind of all over the country or with travel ball that you're exposed to levels of talent as you move up the level. So I think it might be a little less, um, 
a little less shock to the system now, the high school to the college transition. And and I, I'm going to want to get to all of that and, and the, the benefits. And you said it's like pulling a thread. It seems like it's not a big deal, but it can be a big deal. Explain the band work, the stretching, or the stretching, the conditioning, the stretching, and the long toss program. And how did that come to be from Allen? Yeah, absolutely. So the the Jager Sports uh, throwing program is three parts. It's arm circles, J-bands, and long toss. The long toss is the throwing progression, the throwing portion. But the arm circles and the J-bands are all about stretching, preparation, blood flow, heat, range of motion, all of those glorious buzzwords to prepare the arm for the act of throwing. Um, The best analogy um, that I use with students in different places is you would never run a 60 yard dash sprint without first making sure your legs are completely ready for that act of sprinting. And it's the same philosophy with the arm for us. You never want to pick up a ball to throw without first prepping your arm, prepping the rotator cuff for the act of throwing. And Alan loved a long toss in college. Um, He played with the co-owner, Jim Batcher, co-owner of Jager Sports, and they were drawn to each other to long toss and it made their arms feel good. And it was kind of the beginning research, you know, um, informal research on developing a throwing program. And then once Alan got out of college, he really dove into studying band work, um, how they used it for rehabilitation and wanted to see what um, the impact would be of doing that same band program on a healthy arm and what benefits would be there. And so that's kind of the 90 second kind of nutshell version of what it is and how it came about. But um, yeah, I was definitely drawn to the to physical part of the program. And then as I got older, Jager Sports does mental training, yoga work, kind of full body, mind body awareness stuff that I really gravitated towards as well. And how many, because I, I see, I've obviously known Alan for a long time and you see the kids with it. I teach at a high school and I see the tweets out there that this college and this school, how many schools and colleges, high schools and colleges are you guys presently in right now supporting with the JJ bands? Um, that's a great question. I know for the last five to 10 years, since I've been kind of helping with social media and tracking it, every team that's gone to the college world series has them. I'd say there's, um, more teams not, or less teams not using them than there are more. I would say we're in virtually every, um, school in some capacity, whether it's, you know, implemented by the coaching staff, which is most schools, they get it straight from us. They get the throwing program and all that stuff and incorporate it with whatever else they're doing, the drive lines of the world and stuff like that. And then what we're very fortunate with the high school level, little leagues is there's pockets of athletes all over with the J bands. And so they'll take them to the schools they're going to and, and continue their program that way. Um, so we, we talk about conditioning, arm strength, you know, arm work, all of that stuff. The, the thing is, and I'm just a casual fan, there have been a huge increase in the number of Tommy John surgeries over the last 20 years. And I'm just going to read some statistics I found. From 1995 to 98, just over 100. 100. 99 to 02, there were 350. And from 2003 to 06, there were six. 100 plus Tommy John surgeries. Why do you think that is? It's a great question. And I love questions like this because 
this is where I've got to learn just straight from Alan or with different conversations I've had personally and everything. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think um, one of the biggest reasons is athletes are training to throw harder than they ever have. And the arm, some arms aren't necessarily built for that. And so they break down um, because the focus, another reason, because the focus is, you know, firmly on velocity, which you got to learn how to pitch and everything like that. And I know we're going to discuss that later in the, in the episode here as well, but I think people, athletes are throwing harder than they ever have before in the arm necessarily. Is not prepared for that? Um, I think another kind of misleading um, kind of marketing stance. I know when I was kind of going through the ranks, people <laughs> were having kids that didn't even necessarily need Tommy John get Tommy John because they thought that it would make them throw harder. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that the surgery brings you back throwing harder. The reason a lot of athletes throw harder after Tommy John is because after Tommy John, they're put on a program that focuses directly on the arm, developing the arm strength, building a base of health and strength. And they're paying more attention to their arm care than they ever have before. Therefore, they're throwing harder after the surgery. Um, and so I think there's a number of different factors, but I would definitely say the um, another one I left out is the year-round playing. People aren't taking a break. People are focusing too much on victories at eight-year-old travel ball tournaments instead of development. That's another big one. So I think that's a, a few of the reasons there of why the, uh, the surgeries have gone up over the years. So what you're seeing then is people that are actually getting the surgery and doing what they should have been doing before the surgery but after the surgery, as far as arm care goes. And it's a bit ironic that it takes that. Correct. Yeah. And that's one of the, um, I wouldn't say bummer, but one of the things that, you know, we talk about a lot at Jager Sports is oftentimes our first time customers come to us when there's an issue, as opposed to coming to us when they're healthy to implement arm care, arm conditioning the proper way with a healthy arm. And one of Alan's phrases he used at camps and clinics is prehab instead of rehab is put your arm that's already healthy on, you know, a quote unquote rehabilitation program that's designed specifically to target throwing specific muscle groups, rotator cuff and stuff like that, and do that with a healthy arm. And it's a prehab program to keep you um, away from any unfortunate injuries. And then by doing that, now you're doing everything you need to do, which is hopefully going to prevent you from having somebody cut into your elbow at, at 16 years old. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of information out there. Um, for years, people said to young kids, don't throw curveballs. Don't do it until you're old enough to shave. Pitch counts for kids. It, all of that. Let's let's start with the curveballs. Should kids be throwing curveballs, sliders, or anything like that that puts torque on the elbow? Um, the short answer, if I had to give you one word, I would say no. Um, now... Like the torque is the key word and on a audio podcast, it's a little harder to explain, but you can see when an athlete is snapping a curveball or snapping a slider, you can almost visualize torque on the arm. When I, I grew up throwing a football and so I had a very overhand motion. And so I learned to throw an overhand curveball, probably 10 to 13 years old, something like that. And I didn't really snap it off, but if we go to short answer, I would say no. The, the pitch that is neglected, which is the best pitch 
in baseball in the entire staff of Jager Sports Opinion is the changeup. And if that was focused on at a younger age, because that's a, that's just a field pitch, you know, bottom line, a changeup is a field pitch. And Alan has a whole series of articles about the mental side of the changeup. And so that would be what I would focus on first until the body is developed, until you're, you know, a younger teenager, then start spinning stuff because you can develop breaking balls, in my opinion, and in our opinion, based on the decades of watching athletes develop pitches and you can develop those breaking balls much easier than you can develop a changeup. Not a lot of guys can just pick up a changeup. Um, it, it takes years of feel and a mental adjustment to really throw a changeup with fastball mentality and fastball intent. But yeah, go ahead. So then it, it's kind of like, let's just teach these kids how to pitch first, the proper mechanics, the proper prehab, as you say, the proper stretching, the proper conditioning, and just teach them, this is how you pitch the ball. Now let's work in those other pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at the other areas of the game, you know, oftentimes fundamentals are preached over and over and over. Fundamental footwork for defense, for leadoffs, for slides, um, fundamental form for hitting and this and that. And so often with pitching, it's about results. And that's one of our big buzzwords in our mental training is be process-oriented not result-oriented, and that's very difficult um, for pitchers because oftentimes they're the ones that their travel ball team is relying on or whatnot, and velocity is what everybody wants. And so it can put them in a very detrimental place, both physically and uh, mentally, if you're only focusing on results, focusing on throwing hard, um, because if you're focusing on results, a lot of time you're going to be wanting a full repertoire of pitches at a very young age and curveballs and sliders. And people think it's really cool, but having a healthy arm at 18 is a lot cooler in my opinion. <laughs> Cause what are you going to do with all the trophies you want at seven years old? Yeah. I don't know where mine are. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody does. Right. Um, you know, and, and when you talk about velocity and stuff and, and change ups and, and mixing things around, you know, we look at guys like Greg Maddox or, or Tommy John who didn't throw, I don't think either one of them ever threw over 85, but between them, you know, near 600 victories as major league pitchers. Why is it that we don't teach kids how to move the ball around, how to change speeds? And why is it so, I, I don't know what the correct, attractive to, for these coaches to have kids throw hard and win games instead of just teach them the game? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a tough one and it, it kind of gets my, my blood boiling because I think of my own journey and, you know, going to area code tryouts as a junior and striking out five out of six hitters or whatever it was, but I only topped out at 86, 87 that year. And I was sent home first day after the six hitters or whatnot. And it just comes down, I think, to what sells and what the results are, unfortunately, is to get noticed, to get to, you know, the Division One coaches to look at you, the pro scouts to look at you. The first one of the first things they look at is velocity and they figure they can teach you what you're talking about, the uh, changing speeds, the location and everything else. And I think it's a, a combination of both is the best approach. I definitely think Velocity helps because you can get away with more mistakes with velocity. Um, uh, Maddox was my childhood hero when I grew up. That's who my dad had me watch. And he didn't make a lot of mistakes. 
Um, but yeah, velocity helps with mistakes, but I definitely think, I mean, you watch pitchers that are pitching, which nowadays are rare. Um, they can just carve up the, the hitters because the hitters nowadays are training with the same mindset as the pitchers. It's all about home runs. It's all about power. Um, and so they're, they're going big or go home. So if you have a guy that can locate change speeds and move the ball around, uh, they're going to be able to take advantage these days. Um, maybe much more than in the past. And the guy just just gets my goat when I watch a baseball game and you you see the shift and there's a left-handed guy up and you just go the other way with the ball. <laughs> it's, it's an easy double, but good God forbid somebody does that because we're looking for the home run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. No, I was I learned to hit away first. My dad taught me how to hit to the opposite field from the right and left side. And yeah, I mean, the batting average, even though the, the uh, competition wasn't the greatest, the, the 600, whatever it was, batting average, a lot of those were two strike, just, you know, chopping the ball to the left side in the hole and beating it out down the, down the first base side. So believe me, when I watch a game and I see that, it's, it's very frustrating. Um, as well as the the Dodgers Astros World Series, I I don't remember exactly what game it was, but the the double digits on both sides game where it was just, you know, I'm gonna try to throw a hundred and I'm gonna try to hit it five hundred feet back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with a shift, Wade Boggs would hit like eight fifty in today's game. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we're gonna take a break real quick while we pay some bills here. Looking for a job? Looking to hire someone for your company? A perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. And the only place to find the perfect hire is on LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has over 675 million members. LinkedIn Job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash team. Again, linkedin.com slash team to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. You can wait weeks for a technician to do a messy install that costs a fortune, or you can get Simply Safe, the two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice Awards. Go to simplysafe.com/team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com/team. That's simplysafe.com slash team from Simply Safe and all of us here wishing you safety and good health. Any of you that know me know that formal wear is not my strength. I'm a t-shirt and shorts kind of guy. So what's up with that? True classic tees are my favorite. They're an LA-based t-shirt company that's on the rise. The t-shirts are soft. They hold up in the wash and they are incredibly versatile. You can wear them out. You can wear them to workout or around the house. And it sounds like a lot of us are going to be doing a lot of that wandering around the house right now. And the best part, they're incredibly cheap, only $15. And now you can get them for even less. 
Go to trueclassictees.com and use the code at checkout, B-L-E-A-V, for 20% off. That's B-L-E-A-V at trueclassictees.com. I'm not a big betting guy, but I know a lot of you may be. Even though there's no major sports going on, there's still a lot that you can bet on and have fun by betting at betonline.ag. Even though there are no professional or college sports, there's still a lot going on. Esports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the National Spelling Bee, the $750,000 poker series. There's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Back here with China McCarney of Jager Sports. Um, China, James Andrews is probably the Frank Job of um, this era. He believes in pitch counts. Do you guys believe in pitch counts? And do you believe in kids taking a break and not playing year round? Or if they do play year round, don't pitch year round? Yeah. So I'll ask, I'll answer the questions in reverse order. The year round thing, we definitely believe in time off and proper rest. And I'm not going to go into all the specifics, but basically in our year round throwing manual that kind of goes through how to take care of the arm all year round, Alan talks about, you know, rest periods and before you start to throw after that rest period, active rest with arm circles and J bands to keep blood flow, range of motion, avoid atrophy. But especially with young developing bodies, you want to give time away. You want to give time off and it's great mentally to just recharge. I played three sports as a kid. Multi-sports can help you learn different things about strategy, camaraderie, teamwork and all that stuff. Um, But just sticking on the physical topic here, absolutely. Time off, um, take some time away, and then recharge it up and make sure you build a foundation. And then pitch counts, um, it's funny because I just, when I get questions like that, I just go to, you know, thinking of different conversations I've heard Alan have. And with younger kids, absolutely. I think the statistics in Dr. James Andrews is obviously the best in the world. So he knows way more and has done way more, you know, scientific research on the body and medical research. And then, so for sure with younger athletes and Alan has a a table in the year round throwing manual about based on how many pitches, how many days off you should have X, Y, Z for the younger generation. But when you get up, you're fully developed an adult and you're taking care of your arm care and conditioning I wouldn't say we believe um, in hardcore pitch counts. I think it's more of a development thing. And we talk about listening to your arm and developing an intimate relationship with your arm. And I know like for me, pitch count, I I didn't really feel a certain way after a certain amount of pitches. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you you should throw 150 pitches in a game, but um, I think it depends on the flow of the game, how many stress pitches you have. If you're throwing 30 pitches in an inning, that's way more detrimental than throwing 20 pitches for, you know, seven innings or whatnot. Um, but younger age, I say, yes, when you're older developed, if you're, you know, um, taking care of your arm and you're in an intimate relationship with your arm care and conditioning program, I think you can be more loose with pitch count and, 
you know, just allow for ample time for rest in between outings. Then when we watch a baseball game and they have it in the score bug up top, how many pitches? Oh my God, he's getting towards a hundred pitches. I, you know, if you came out at a hundred pitches and told Nolan Ryan, he's done. He'd have beat the crap out of you and said, get back in the dugout. Why do major league teams worry about it so much? Is it situational or are they trying to save the guy that they're paying $25 million a year? Yeah. I mean, your educated guess would be as good as what I would come up with, with an answer right now. I'd love to ask general managers and, you know, major league managers about their thought process. Cause with so many analytics now and, third time through the lineup and different things like that. It just, you know, it, it can get a little tough to watch a full baseball game and to watch decisions like that be made. Cause I know personally with myself and then with different athletes, we've seen the Trevor Bowers, everybody else, it's 110, 120 pitches is like a walk in the park compared to our long toss training days in the off season. And so um, I would love somebody much smarter than me. And that's dealing with those decisions on a major league level to explain kind of their reasoning because we haven't figured it out. And all we can do is prep our athletes from an arm strength, arm conditioning and a mental place to get them ready to do whatever the team asked them to do. You mentioned Trevor Bauer. What was that thing that he would wave back and forth that looked like a little flexible javelin when he was at UCLA? Yeah, that is, um, I'm blanking on the name, but basically it's an arm bow. I used it a few times. I believe it's out of, um, the Texas baseball ranch with Ron Woolforth. I think it was something he preached and basically it was vibrations through the arm at different angles. That was just another preparation thing to increase blood flow, um, oxygenation, range of motion, um, kind of the same sort of goals as the bands just to open everything up in there and get everything kind of grooving together before you started, um, your throwing program. I think it's the arm bow, if I'm not mistaken, but okay. And then Trevor had a lot of success with, you know, whatever, whatever it is he does, he's, he's been very successful. Absolutely. Um, I want to change gears here a little bit because I, I want to talk about your foundation, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression. Yeah. How did you get, how did you get involved with that? What was the impetus for you um, getting into that, writing a book? Yeah, so I have um, dealt with anxiety and panic attacks. I had my first panic attack in 2009, which was my junior season of college, which for anybody in the baseball world knows that's the year. Um, I was having a meeting a week with, you know, um, scouts and different representatives from major league organizations on my draft position, how much I'd signed for all these different things. The college season wasn't going great. And I had my first panic attack. Um, and I hid it from everyone. I didn't want anybody to know because I thought it would be viewed as a weakness getting scouted. Um, and so I hid it for six years until 2015 after my playing career was over. I finally had a breakdown in a parking lot and I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore by myself. I need help. So I reached out to a therapist um, and kind of got permission to start sharing um, what I was going through and that changed my life. And so in the winter of 2016, I wanted to create that avenue for other people, um, not just athletes. It's called Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression because that's my network and that's the world I live in, but it's for everyone. And um, I just wanted to put a real world face and create a community where anybody struggling 
in silence, had a place to turn. We have free therapy and stuff like that. And so started it in 2016 and the, the response from my network was incredible. And uh, that's when I knew I had to do, I had to take the responsibility seriously, do a real foundation and um, continue this for the rest of my life. You know, and you would think, you know, you're a junior in college, you're, you're probably going to get drafted because you're talking to people. And, and a lot of people would think that that would be an exciting time. Yeah, there's, there's some stress there, but man, you're going to be a professional baseball player. Why are, why are you having a panic attack? Did you, did you ever under, what, did you understand why? Yeah, you know, I think there were many different factors. My situation, my junior year, um, started the year as the Friday night starter, got moved to the bullpen early on. That didn't go over well with the scouts. I had my whole family and, you know, small town, like we've talked about, Aguadulce, it's like this, you're our chance. You've got a, um, it was the external pressure. Uh, if I had to just put a label on it, external pressure of where are you going to get drafted? Are you going to do this? Um, my passion for playing at that point was waning because of the experience going on. And so there was just so many conflicting things that I think attributed to it and um, led to that first panic attack, which anybody that's ever had a panic attack, it's, it's the most unpleasant feeling in the world, especially the first one, because you have no idea what's going on with your body. But I'd say the external, the external pressure and external focus on something that was really out of my control and hearing from 50 different voices about what I should be doing, what's going to happen and all that stuff. A lot of future thinking. Yeah, that's well, it's, it's good that, you know, it's, it's out there now. And I think we see so much of it and a lot of big name professional athletes have come out um, with their fight against mental illness, Kevin Love, Michael Phelps. And, and a lot of people think Kevin Love makes $15 million a year. He plays professional basketball or all these guys that play professional sports. They, they have great lives. They live lives of luxury. They travel first class. They, they have everything. How can they be depressed? Yeah. Well, the beautiful and terrible part about mental illness and mental health is that it doesn't play favorites. And I had a awesome question the other day asked by someone that said, what does it take? you know, to make it like, do you see a, a theme or is there a trait that the people that make it and become successful professional athletes, is there a consistent trait that they have? And the answer is no. Um, they're human beings. Kevin loves a human being. Michael Phelps is a human being. And a lot of them face the same fears and everything that we do. The difference is they face them or if they have the talent and they just keep putting themselves in those performance and get those experiences it's the systematic desensitization over time where they get comfortable being on those stages and performing. But in terms of their personal life or their mental health, uh, they're not immune to anxiety, depression, and feeling it regardless of um, what it looks like from the outside. And I think for a lot of guys, it, it does take its toll not coming through in the clutch. You've got fans that are looking at you, millions of people that watch you. And in that big moment, sometimes, you know, you fail, you strike out, you give up a home run. And, you know, I, I remember Donnie Moore when he gave up that home run to Dave Henderson in 86. And, and years later, you find out that Donnie Moore took his own life because he couldn't deal with it. But there are guys, you know, like Mariano Rivera, who, you know, 
give up a game-winning hit in the World Series, and he comes back the next year, and they, you know, he's wildly successful. Yeah, I think it just comes back to everyone's an individual, and everybody just has a little different mindset and a little different predisposition to different mental illness, and you never know with like childhood. Were they self-conscious? Did they have both parents around? Did they have a firm upbringing of confidence and dealing with failure or was failure looked at the end of the world um, and everything like that? And so I think it's just like normal life. They just happen to be on a stage where they're watched, like you said, by millions of people. And so their mistakes are magnified to the nth degree. But, you know, some of them are just going to have a different mindset towards it, use it as fuel can turn it into a positive or to let it go. And then other people, just like in normal everyday life, there's people that make mistakes at their job and they're able to use that as fuel and look at it differently the next time. And then there's other people that make a mistake and they let it lead to the end of their relationship, the end of their family life, or in those worst case scenarios, you know, like those, those ones you brought up, if they can't get over it, they make, um, you know, a, a very unfortunate decision with taking their own life and stuff like that. But I think a great lesson for everybody is just athletes that are professional celebrities in general, they're human beings for sure. Trust me, based on what I've seen um, with my experiences at Jager Sports and the people we've we've been around is they're humans. They have the same fears and they're just like the rest of us for sure. Can we teach that? Can we teach how to deal with failure. Because if you're a hitter, you're going to fail 70% of the time and, and you're in the hall of fame. But can we teach kids how to fail, even though we really don't want them to fail, but it's just part of life. 100% we can. And I think it's a big um, hot topic right now. And it's something we need to do a better job of as leaders, parents, coaches, teachers, whatever it is, that needs to be part of the curriculum. And you have to find a balance. And we were talking about this the other day too, where there's that fine line between being so foo-foo about failure and like, oh, it's okay and everything's fine. And then you build up a, you know, kind of a facade of an ego where it's like, well, then I can't do any wrong. It's you want to let them know the mistake they made and kind of walk through it. And then how can they, you know, approach it differently the next time? Failure is going to happen. Failures are an opportunity to learn and there are different types of failure. There's physical ones we can't control in the game. There's mental mistakes of you're just not paying attention or you're just not doing your job. And those are the ones to be critical of. But you have to find that balance between teaching um, and then belittling and the, the athlete shutting down or the student shutting down because they feel like you're just attacking them. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons and the biggest kind of middle grounds that leaders, teachers, coaches, parents have to find and they have to prioritize finding it because it goes a long way in developing the human being, not just the athlete. Do you think that, you know, people go back the old school way of coaching, the the yelling, the screaming, the the Frank Cush, Woody Hayes, Bobby Knight way of doing thing? Although yes, it was it was borderline abusive, but kids that played for those guys say that they swear by it. And have we not to say that we should you know, be that way. I don't think we should, but have we softened a little bit with kids in, in all areas? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think society softened as a whole. Um, I think social media has a lot to do with that. Um, I think there's some benefits, uh, because 
you know, people are protected and you can't cross certain lines that could be crossed in the past. But I think there isn't one right way to do it. I think there's, there's rights and wrongs from both sides of the equations, the Bobby Knights, and then whoever is the polar opposite of that, that is just conversational and strictly teaching. I think there's, you could take things from both of them and, and create a great coach. But um, I definitely think, you know, society is softer nowadays um, and we've seen it with different individuals we've dealt with or parents where it's who can we blame for the problem that we're dealing with when it's like, it's not about who's the blame. What's the solution. That's all problems should be about. If there's a problem, what's the solution. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's gotta be just a genuine thirst for, um, becoming the best version of yourself, whether that means the coach, the athlete or whatnot, and kind of getting rid of everything else and the politics and the, the stuff that gets in the way of true development and um, true improvement. Is that, is that kind of the same thing? We, we talk about pressure and being able to deal with pressure. And, you know, since you're a baseball guy, I'm a baseball guy. You, you look at some guys that just, they, all of a sudden they, they forgot how to do things. Rick Ankiel all of a sudden forgot how to pitch. Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch could not throw the ball from second base to first base. I, Steve Blass from the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the day, you know, forgot how to pitch. Is is that kind of the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we get a number of calls and it's almost like a word you don't want to say in the baseball world, but the yips, right? We get calls about athletes dealing with the yips and how to get it out of them um, or get them out of the yips. And it is 100% mental for the most part. And it's almost reverse engineering and starting with the fundamentals and getting them to focus on anything else other than the throw. Because what happens is you start to build up um, just too much repetition. It's like muscle memory um, is good. Well, you build up bad muscle memory and you start fearing the result of the throw. And then that's all you can think about. And so you basically you produce that because that's all you're mentally, um, mentally thinking about. So it's absolutely the same thing. You have to work backwards, simplify what's the goal and how do we get there? And that's kind of how we do it with the athletes when they're dealing with it. And it is not easy. I'm not going to sit here. That was a minute long answer to say, well, if you have the yips, just reverse engineer and figure out how to throw again, we've had months of work, but you always get there. And it's often, if not always a mental breakthrough, and just concentrating on the process of things you can control to get that throw going. I, I coach high school golf and I've got, you know, some kids that, that mentally, they just can't, you know, it's a league match coach. It's a league match. Yeah. But the golf course hasn't changed. Your swing hasn't changed. Walk up, hit the ball, you know, and for someone like me and I say to kids, look, it, it's amazing how well you can play when you just go play and you try and clear your mind and you don't care. Right. Well, and that's the, the basis of our mental training at Jager Sports. Um, one of our big taglines and one thing I actually tweeted it and sent it out tonight is trust the process. And the process with our mental training is what can you control? We call it, we say pitch to pitch, but if you're talking golf shot to shot, it's like a simple one just for the sake of example here. And it's always good to keep it simple if you want three or four points, but like my three-step process as a pitcher was deep breath because I can control that and that gets me grounded and centered 
focal point. So I had a very specific focal point I would concentrate with my eyes and then attack with fastball mentality, regardless of the pitch I was throwing. And that took years, but I remember a specific bullpen. I was like 21 and I implemented the process basically on every pitch the entire time. And it was incredible. And I'm a huge golfer now. And it is the most fun way to play golf is shot to shot is deep breath, pick a focal point. And Jack Nicholas talks about this. So if he would try to pick like some tiny little thing on the flag, he wouldn't pick the green. He wouldn't pick a part of the green. He picked the smallest focal point he can, he could. So when he attacked that, if he missed by a little bit, it was still a great shot. And so, yeah, if you can compartmentalize and figure out things that you can control, whatever it is in life, whether it's, you know, pitching, hitting, golf, anything like that, um, it can just simplify, simplify things and free your mind up to just let your instincts and your athletic ability take over. Well, I'm, I'm a big golfer and I just, I, maybe that's why I'm not so good because I focus <laughs> on just hoping the ball finds the earth after I hit it. Not <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's a, that's a stroll for everyone. Even, even when you're implementing the process, right. doesn't mean you're not going to lose a half dozen into a lake here. And yeah. There. Yeah. That's why I have a diving mask and swim fins in my golf bag. <laughs> well listen china this was great man i we could talk i could talk all day about this stuff but um where can people get your book and and more information about the j bands and the throwing program yeah absolutely so jagersports.com um is where they can find everything you know we're synonymous with j bands now but there's the throwing programs on there we have our complete competitor package which is our entire program our mental training book year-round throwing manual lower body core everything we have to offer there. So, and there's a lot of free resources on there as well, articles and stuff like that. And then the foundation athletes against anxiety and depression. If you head to aaadf.org, so it's just the acronym for athletes against anxiety and depression foundation. You can find everything on there. My book, mental health book, tell your stories up there. Um, Social media accounts are all just China McCarney, China, like the country and then MCC. A-R-N-E-Y. And what we always say at Jager Sports is we're teachers first. Like I've been with them 21 years. I lived the program first. I love the program. I'm so blessed that it's my career. And so there's never a bad time to reach out or to ask a question. It's literally our passion. And if you go to jagersports.com, all three of our email addresses are up there. Reach out anytime. We love talking. We love troubleshooting and, and hearing from the, the amazing community. So that's kind of where you can find me. And you guys are also in softball and starting in football for quarterbacks, correct? Correct. Yeah. So we're uh, softball. It's been uh, about a decade or a little more. Alan did work with Sue Enquist back when she was still coaching at UCLA. And he's been doing tons of stuff with softball, but we've kind of um, broadened that stem of the business out more and we've been blessed to have monica abbott who's used our stuff forever and then football is getting exciting we just had russell wilson post a video the other day doing j bands um and so yeah football quarterbacks basically any overhand movement whether it's volleyball um water polo we've had swimming and diving um javelin throwers you name it um you can get benefits from the rotator cuff activation of the j band exercise routine Awesome. Well, um, China, I cannot thank you enough. Please give my best to Alan. And he said you would be a fantastic resource. And 
and you most certainly were. I want to thank you for taking the time tonight uh, to, to talk with me about some really, really important issues for for anybody. You don't have to be an athlete. The mental part of, of life is really important. No, I appreciate it. And I'll say one one thing before I go is just a thank you to you. It's individuals like you. You know, when I was playing back in high school, um, just the networking, it wasn't as available as it is now. There was certain things my dad could find, but people like you that are so passionate about what you do and getting the information out there, that's what helps kids. That's what helps parents and prolongs careers, maximizes careers. And so, um, you know, anytime there's, you know, struggles or anything like that with what you're trying to do, just always remember that you're helping people, you're helping athletes, and it's people like you that are the true heroes of sports. So I appreciate you, Tony, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you tonight. Well, thank you very much. And uh, hey, stay safe out there. Wear your mask, wear your gloves, and keep that social distance. Absolutely. All right, China, thank you so much. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. Don't be afraid to hit the subscribe button. And don't be afraid to send me an email at Tony Moskal at gmail.com or on Twitter at Tony Moskal. If you've got any suggestions, I would like to thank China McCarney from Jager Sports for joining me tonight. I uh, hope everybody's staying safe out there and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.